So if you're a guest with us this morning, my name is Jim Hinkle, and I'm one of the youth ministers here. Our regular preaching minister is Josh Ross. Speaking of international, he's in Israel today with about 25 other folks from Sycamore View uh, on a Holy Land tour, and so please keep them and their travels in your prayers. Um, What a blessing it is to have been able to walk through the Gospel of Mark over the past few months, and we're going to continue on that as we get ready to wrap up this, uh, this series that Josh has called Refocus. <clears throat> and this morning, uh, as we think about uh, what God calls us to do, uh, we're going to kind of take a venture into some agriculture today. About 20 years ago, Stacy and I, my wife, we had a great idea. We decided we should have a garden. Now, for those of you who are good at gardening, bless you. Uh, for the rest of us, uh, just having a garden, it, it sounds so easy, just like something anybody can do. And so we went out, <clears throat> actually rented a tiller, and I tilled a little plot uh, in our backyard, and we put some mix of soil, and then we put, I don't know, like six or seven different kinds of vegetables and rows. And uh, though I don't have the exact picture, um, this is what we envisioned in our mind <laughs> after, you know, a, a summer in Middle Tennessee where we lived at the time. But it was a little closer to this. <laughs> and, and I kid you not, we, our yield was one tomato. We had one tomato from an entire garden and an entire summer. So as we have often said, we are much better at keeping people alive than plants alive in the Hinkle family, which is obvious by the number of children we have. So, uh, but I should have known that any kind of uh, venture into gardening was, was doomed uh, from the start. When I was in fourth grade, I, I lived in York, Nebraska, where I grew up, and You know, I don't know what your field trips were like growing up where you grew up, but you're a little limited uh, in York, Nebraska. One of our field trips was actually to uh, see the water treatment plant. Um, So you can imagine the maturity of fourth grade boys walking through an area that smelled like doo-doo for an hour. It was... (laughs) It was really great. But not only was uh, the the water treatment plant fascinating to a fourth grader, uh, we went out, again, somewhat limited, to a prairie. And we went to this thing called the Nine Mile Prairie, which is exactly what you would imagine. Nine miles of nothing. And they said, now go out and pick one piece of whatever is growing on this prairie and then we'll bring it back, and we'll laminate it, we'll identify it, and we'll, we'll learn about the prairie grasses of Nebraska and how these uh, things are growing up, and I don't know what we were supposed to learn, but that's, we, were, we were supposed to do something with plants. And so I remember the next day in class, uh, we went back to school, and all the, the teachers were calling students up, and they were saying, oh, you got the goldenrod. That's the state grass of Nebraska. And they were passing out these different laminated pieces. And then uh, Mrs. Wolf called me up. She was my fourth grade teacher. And she said, "Uh, Jim, I'm sorry. You picked something called hemp. (laughs) It's used to make marijuana. (laughs) And we had to burn it last night. (laughs) 
Go, Mrs. Wolf. I don't, I don't know what the circumstances of the burning of the hemp included, but she was in a really good mood that day. <laughs> but I, I've never quite fully understood how, how to grow things. I'm, I'm still not good at it. Um, and this, this passage, so it's ironic when Josh and I were talking about this sermon series and he was going to be out of town today, that he said, Jim, why don't you preach through March or Mark 4? I said, that's great. Any, any chapter in Mark, I love it. Action-packed, lots of things going on, lots of quick-hitting stories, lots of narrative. And then I turned over to Mark chapter 4, and I found out it's about gardens, and it's about plants, and it's about growing things. <clears throat> and there's seems to be a certain amount of mystery about how things actually grow. Sometimes you can do all the right things, but your harvest doesn't reflect that. Sometimes you can do nothing right, and the harvest can be fruitful. There's a certain amount of mystery when it comes to spiritual growth too, and that brings us to Mark chapter 4. There's a mystery and a power in spiritual growth, and I think that's where Mark is trying to teach us a few things this morning. So if you'll flip over there, there are three different sections, really, uh, of Mark chapter 4. The first one Josh talked about a little bit already, and it's the, what we call the parable of the sower. And Jesus tells a story about someone who scatters seed, it scatters on lots of different types of soil, and then after he tells this story, this parable, and he's in front of a large crowd speaking from a boat. He calls his disciples, the 12 and some others, aside afterward. And he said, now listen, I want, I want to explain this to you. It's one of the few places where Jesus actually explains himself in all the Bible. And basically he says that this parable maybe is not so much about the sower as we label it, but it's more about the soil. Because the soil tends sometimes to determine what is what grows and what doesn't grow and then he goes on and he says some really confusing things that i'm going to come back to in just a minute <laughs> but the next parable <clears throat> i want to read together it's called the parable of the growing seed in verse 26 through 29 jesus is speaking he said this is what the kingdom of god is like A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So whereas the emphasis on the first parable in Mark 4 that we've talked about is more about soil. This is a little more, I think, about really not the person who does the planting, but it's, it's the power that brings the growth. Jesus is taking this moment to talk about the kingdom of God in ways, and he's explaining the mystery. And I wish the Greek word scattering was what I think it connotes in our English language, because I I think 
in, in the Greek, when I've been working on Mark 4 this week, this word of scattering, I think it does mean somebody who intentionally placed a seed somewhere, but I kind of wish it was what we think of scattering, because that's kind of how I feel, and that's how I kind of see the kingdom of God sometimes, that sometimes I just kind of accidentally scatter some seed, and God does something with my mistakes. Or maybe they're not even my mistakes, but they're my unintentional plants of seed. Sometimes I didn't really think that I was going to create something great, but sometimes I did something and it turned into something great, not because of myself, but because of God. And I think that's the way the kingdom of God works. So I love this parable so much, and I like it a lot better than the first one because the first one I come away thinking, man, I am all of those soils in a different time or a different season of my life. Sometimes within the same day, I'm multiple types of soil. But in this passage, this parable of the growing seed, verses 26 through 29, God undeniably is the one with the power, and he's undeniably the one who takes whatever we provide, whatever we scatter, whatever we sow, and he does something with it even when we don't understand what he's doing with it. Night and day it grows. And all this joker did in verse 26 was scatter some seed. So the emphasis is not on the soil in this, but it's on the one who gives the growth. And so I come back to the mystery of spiritual growth, that it is not something we, can all, we can't quantify it the way we like to. Some of us are very data-driven in our business or in our profession or in our life. And the kingdom of God is not necessarily a data-driven business or enterprise. There's mystery. And so Jesus knows this and he says, somebody scattered seed. And then he walked away from it and God did something amazing. I like that story. Anytime I can kind of excuse myself just a little bit and let God take center stage, it seems to turn out better. And I think this next parable, too, is very similar in some ways as far as what the emphasis is. So read with me in verse 30 again, he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet, when planted it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. That is powerful. Again, the emphasis seems to be not on us, but the emphasis rightly seems to be on God who takes something that in its initial phase, in its origin, it's pretty small, pretty insignificant, and God does something really beautiful with it. And I I love this context because these two parables, they're bookended, one by this passage where Jesus, as he explains the parable of the sower, or as I call it this morning, the parable of the soil, he talks about a lamp. And he talks about we don't hide our lamps. If we have light, we use it. We're going to let it shine, and he says, whatever's been hidden will be disclosed. So Jesus starts this by, I, 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 very much paraphrasing, but I want to say, what is real is going to be found out. What is true is going to be seen. You can't hide from God. And so there's this almost uh, 
I guess, kind of this inevitability about spirituality that whatever soil you are, it's, it's going to be found out. And that's scary <laughs> because I know what kind of soil I bring to the equation with God sometimes. And so uh, uh, from that standpoint, I have this real draw or this real uh, impetus toward accountability toward God that I need to be really careful with the stewarding of what God has put under me, given into my life. Then on the other hand, on the other end of these stories, you have Jesus who calms a storm, and you have Jesus who delivers a demon-possessed man. You have Jesus who heals a sick girl. You have Jesus who raises someone from the dead. And so you kind of have these bookends, right? And doesn't this sound a lot like life? (laughs) Where on the one hand, Jesus says, what you are is going to be found out. So you need to take that seriously. You need to feel some accountable to me about what kind of soil you're becoming. And then on the other, Jesus is saying, but I'm in charge. Like, it's not you, even if you're the best soil in the world, you're not going to do anything without having me on your side. And just in case you wondered if I could handle it, just in case you wondered if I was powerful enough, watch what I can do. Storm calmed. Demon possessed, gone. Sickness fleeing from death to life. That is a powerful God, amen? And so that's the kind of God that I want. I love this context. I want to be somebody that gardens in that kind of kingdom where small little things can become really, really big things. And that's what I think Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is something that you can't totally wrap your mind around it because it's bigger than you and it's bigger than me. And so sometimes these small little seeds that we scatter intentionally, and I think sometimes even intentionally, although I can't make the linguistic case here in Mark chapter 4, I think God works even when we're sleeping on it night and day, like the parable of the growing seed. And so I started thinking, you know, what are some times, what are some interactions that I've had in my life that uh, this, in the, maybe two in the life of this congregation, where we've seen something small grow into something beyond what we ever could have imagined. And, and I've got a few examples that I think are helpful. Um, is, is Kendall Baldwin? Kendall, are you here this morning? All right. Well, this is Kendall in the yellow shirt. Kendall's now uh, 21 years old. And <clears throat> this was uh, taken the, a couple Wednesday nights after uh, what we didn't know yet, but it was what turned into our Boys and Girls Club. About nine years ago, some of our middle schoolers went across the street to the village of Sycamore Ridge, and they started, <clears throat> they were just trying to tell the, our neighbors across the street about some programs that were happening that their kids could get involved with. And there's this little third grade boy that came back to the church building with us, and he was full of personality. We called him the mayor of Sycamore Ridge. <laughs> and so he came back uh, and hung out with our youth group. And then the next Wednesday, he showed up because he heard we had church on Wednesday. And so the children's minister and I, Megan, at the time, we looked at each other and said, well, I guess we should hang out with this kid that came over at three in the afternoon to hang out on a Wednesday. So we hung out. Then the next week, he came back again. And then the next week, he brought some friends, these guys right here. 
And then the next week we said, hey, maybe God's trying to teach us something. So we told him, bring some friends and we'll bring a van and drive through the neighborhood. And within a couple weeks, this little guy, this third grader, had grown this ministry into 30 kids and we were overwhelmed. And we called Boys and Girls Club and said, we've got a great problem. We've got a brand new facility and a bunch of kids that have no after-school opportunities. Let's, let's do something together. And so seven, eight years later, we have 125 kids from the neighborhood who find refuge in this place Monday through Friday. We never would have planned that. That's got to be God, right? <clears throat> I was thinking about Agape, which is one of our strategic partners. And Agape, uh, for years and years, and not that this is a small dream at all, but it was very narrowly focused, let's help families adopt children. And it was a very small operation for years and years. And then about a decade ago, they said, you know what? There are so many children in our city that need holistic wraparound services. And so they're not orphans. They're not in the foster system. What can we do? And so they started this uh, ministry called Power Lines, where they're trying to wrap services all around an entire community. And just this week, I saw that over the past 12 months, <clears throat> there's almost there's one and a half percent of families that are served by Agape who no longer are living in poverty. There are 82 percent of families that Agape serve, and uh, they paid their rent on time. That exceeds the goal of 30%. 91% of the kids that are involved in Agape Ministries right now, they are attending school consistently and have, not perfect, but they have great attendance, which is far beyond what is happening if they're not a part of Agape services. And so you have this, this, this seed that's grown into this huge thing that is affecting generations and generations and whole communities. One very uh, personal a moment to, to me that I saw was about six, maybe six and a half years ago, we were sitting, and I've told this story once before here, um, but we were sitting at the dinner table as a family, and at that time, my daughter, Sarah Kate, who's pictured up here, she was saying the prayer for dinner that night, and as she prayed for the food and prayed for the family at the time, I guess she was 11 years old, she said, and God, help us to adopt a child. Amen. <laughs> well, Stacy and I hadn't talked about that at all. And we hadn't talked with her about it. And so, you know, during the prayer with all eyes closed, I looked up at Stacy and I was like, did you say something? Because <laughs> that was not in the game plan. We, have, we had four kids and they were all close together and we raised them early. So we had some life left at the end of our kids. <laughs> and that was not the plan. That was not the plan. And yet, you know, here's, this is Sarah Kate's 17th birthday uh, a couple weeks ago, and she's got a little buddy to help her blow out the candle. That's God. Taking that little prayer that I don't know where it came from. It did not come from her dad. <laughs> <laughs> but taking that prayer and turning it into a new member of the family, a new member of this family, and to have our little five-year-old Zoe in the fabric of this community. That, that's God. That's beyond what we could have imagined. Two more quick things, 
And I, I got to tell this story about Gonzalo earlier, but this is Gonzalo Salinas and his youth group uh, in Panama. And Gonzalo was converted to Christ as a 16 or 17-year-old in Costa Rica. And I, if you could go back and find the 16-year-old Gonzalo in Costa Rica and say, 35 years later, are you going to be developing maybe the strongest youth ministry in the country of Panama? <laughs> he would laugh and say, of course not. Of course not. But God does that. And one more 316 related. This is a picture of the one time I got to go to Zambia. Um, my dad got to go with me and we got to teach. But I just think about the power of <clears throat> what was supposed to be a Bible training college. David French went over there to help teach people who want to be ministers how to understand and teach the Bible, and that was going to be it. And that is a great feat. That is a great task in and of itself. But as he got there, he realized people can't hear the Word. They can't experience the Bible if they're hungry or if they're in poverty or if they're in some kind of servitude to other people. So what if we developed one of the more holistic missions in all of Africa that affects every part of life, and we start to create not just students who know the Word of God, but we start to develop people who can empower entire communities to live out and to see what restoration looks like in their villages. That's a lot bigger than what I believe Dave and Lori probably started with, but they put the seed in and then God took them to places, and if you would ask David a dozen years ago if he envisioned this kind of holistic ministry and they spent as much time farming as they did studying the Bible, he'd say, why would we do that? And yet God has brought him to this place. The kingdom of God is such a powerful, powerful, mysterious uh, garden to grow in. And I was thinking, so what does this mean for us today? Well, I think two things. Number one, I think our actions matter. These stories say that somebody's got to scatter the seed. Like in all of the stories, there's somebody doing something with seed, the mustard seed, right? So we, we do matter. Our actions matter. And we've got to be intentional. And we've got to be connected with God so that the seed we sow is actually are His hopes and His dreams and not our own, right? And secondly, <clears throat> when we do it well, when we do something right and it feels right, it's still God who gets the credit because God grows the seed. And it's probably a bigger temptation for those of us who are in full-time ministry to see ourselves as the ones who really are, are architects of this real beautiful growth plan for a church or a spiritual community. But I, but I think the temptation is probably there for you. Like who's the hero of your narrative? Who gets the credit for the successes in your life? Are you a self-made person? Because if you are, you've forgotten all the people who helped you become self-made, right? And ultimately, at the bottom of all that is God. God is the one who gives the increase. And the kingdom of God is this powerful place, as Jesus prays, for uh, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
The kingdom of God is this place of peace. It's a place of prosperity. It's a place uh, where there's productivity. It lacks a bunch of things that we don't like. It lacks tears. There's no death. There's no pain. There's no isms, classism, sexism, racism, racism, any kind of ism that separates or divides. That is not present in the kingdom of God. And so how do we let that come in and take over our lives? We sow seeds, and sometimes God does more with it than we ever expected. But evil is real, and human will is real. And so we are truly in a battle. We don't just sow seeds and then go do what we want to do. We sow seeds and then we pray, and we stay on alert. And we're going to pray in just a minute. So if our prayer partners, prayer leaders want to make your ways to the back and to the sides over here, we're going to have an invitation to come and to pray and to join into this fight, to join in to this place of scattering seed this morning. But the cool thing about seeds and growth is they will find a beam of sunlight They will find the drop of water. Walk across any sidewalk or any driveway and there will be some little piece of something growing through the crack unexplicably in a place where growth never should have happened. Growth does. And I think that's our story, is it not? That somehow, because God lives and because Jesus did what he did for us, inexplicably, when we should be dead, when we should be cut off from growth and productivity, God says, I can still use you. Just scatter some seed, and I'll do things with it you can't imagine. So I'm glad to serve that kind of God this morning. Are you? Amen. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing. If you have a need or a prayer request that you'd like to bring publicly to the whole church, come see Phil. Otherwise, you can go pray with all the rest of these uh, men and women around the worship center. So let's stand.